0: Welcome to the Be Here Now Network guest podcast. This series features talks from a myriad of modern spiritual teachers
1: expanding on how we can all live a life in balance. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com guest. I really
0: can't uh, overemphasize
1: the importance of a daily practice in these times. And we find some moments every day to still the mind. But even one moment of stillness can have a very good effect for a whole week. You know, even if you just come on Sundays. And that one moment has power of just connecting and the still, the still mind offers us clarity. And uh, it has power to it. So I just... Yes, for me, my practice uh, has become really important again to stay, stay really clear. And doing a householder practice is challenging, right? I'm really lucky. I teach meditation, so I get to do it all the time. <laughs> it's kind of a, a blessing of the, my profession, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk some about. Community and sangha—it and feels important because sometimes we don't really realize what a jewel it is. And and taking refuge in the three three refuges, the three jewels. For for some of you, you may know that teaching really well. And and as you become more involved in the Buddhist tradition, all all of them from Southeast Asia to Tibet to. One thing that all the traditions agree on, you know, all these different schools of thought, the cornerstone of it is this idea of taking refuge. And, and refuge is where do you go when things are hard? You know, where do you, where do you turn to? What, what is there to turn to when everything is changing so much in our world? And that's kind of the nature of, of this human experience is this constant change. So where do we go when things are hard? And so the refuges they offer us sort of—I always imagine—and I wrote in one of my chapters in the book, "Islands of Peace," because I used to always see them as you know, you're you're out in the ocean and you you know your boat collapses and you're flailing around, right? And you're going where where's refuge? And in some ways, I think of samsara, which is this kind of delusion of this endless wandering which humanity is kind of churning in this wheel of samsara endless wandering searching looking for happiness right sort of i so said seven billion of us are kind of flailing around in the ocean you know bonking each other on the head going where where is it where and then some people see in the distance this island and they swim over there I have a little drawing in my book. I have a lot of art. And so I have this person sitting under a tree, a little coconut. I, I found my refuge. <laughs> and, um, and the refuge is in what they are is taking refuge in the Buddha. Just to do a quick little summary, refuge in the Buddha, meaning Buddha consciousness, the potential to awaken. Like we take refuge in our goodness. We remember our goodness. You know, that can be very cheerful in the dark moment, right? You can think, "God, oh, I'm a good person. Here's all these different things I've done. I'm, gen-. You know, this is like we turn towards that. We remember that. You know, often we don't remember all the beautiful seeds we plant, you know, and our beautiful intentions. We just always tend to focus on negative things, right? You didn't do that. You didn't, you know, your bed's not made. That we forget our life is dedicated to service. and Yeah, so it's important to reflect on the highest potential. And then we take refuge in the Dharma, which are the teachings and the way. And these teachings can um, include many different traditions. It's teachings and forgiveness and compassion. Uh, the Dharma, as the Buddha Dharma, you could take refuge in that, the collection of practices that, help us discover our true nature. So we we can take refuge in that. And that can be very, very helpful. How many of you take refuge in Dharma books and teachings and recordings, right? This is what we mean by taking refuge. Like, oh, God, I'm having a hard day. We listen to a Dharma talk, and then it all shifts, right? We we remember, that's refuge. Like, oh, yes, thank you for reminding me. I always... um, I always tell people I have nothing new to say. I'm just reminding you of what you know. We already know this stuff. We just forget, right? Even people at retreats, 10-day retreats, they walk out of the retreat center. That's so amazing. And then they already forget when they get home. What was that again? What am I supposed to do? How do I practice? So, you know, I, I hear the same Dharma talks over and over, right, in the community, and every time now, it's new. It's like, oh, yes, a Four Noble truths. Yes. Because we're so forgetful, we need to hear the teachings a million times before it goes in, right? So get used to the repetition, <laughs> you know, memorization, repetition. What am I doing again? Oh, right. How do I practice? Oh, fill my body. Right. I forgot. You know, I forgot. I forgot. Yes. Yeah. So, So that's all. We're ever doing here is coming together and reminding each other of the Dharma, reminding each other of our goodness, reminding each other to practice that goodness and to remember that goodness. Right? We have to always uh, practice remembering, and actually, a synonym for mindfulness is remembrance. That word itself means to remember. So, I'm reminding you of that, and then the third jewel. Uh, that has become very uh, important is the jewel of Sangha. And the Buddha described the three refuges as jewels. And if you think about a jewel, that's really a significant kind of um, image, right? Something extraordinarily valuable that uh, is precious in some way. And I think that this third jewel is underemphasized in most buddhist communities that have evolved in the west now in asia i think or other cultures is very woven in because of that culture is very community based but we kind of grow up with this do it alone right community what do i need it's me my hard work right we kind of have this forge your way pull suck it up pull yourself together right you don't need anyone it's you 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 And so we have this kind of uh, conditioning that we don't always value. Like, what does it mean to say that the sangha or a community is a jewel? I don't know. You know, for some people, they're like, I don't know if I subscribe to that. Right. And then it's kind of reiterated by the practice itself in some communities. And I've been in these communities for 20 years now. I used to practice for years at Insight Meditation Society. I would go on my early 20s, many three-month courses. Uh, you know, I've been teaching at Spirit Rock for many years and gone through teacher trainings. And I've spent almost three years in, in silent retreat. So I know the vibe of these retreats. And I would reflect on it a lot while I would be there. And, and then traveling around and meeting sanghas and sitting groups and seeing their interpretation of what does it mean to be in community. And so there's a way that people, this practice attracts introverts, right? Um, People come into a community like, don't talk to me. No, no, no. Oh, no, I just want to stay. No, 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 no. And so often I make people talk in Oakland. And actually what happens is they say, thank you. But there's that, that tendency to go, no, I don't want to connect. No, no, no. And then they do, and they go, oh, right. It's like the longing for the connection and the total aversion to connection, right? At the same time. You know that feeling? You can enter into silence and leave in silence. People can go on home retreats, never one word to anyone. And then the loneliness sets in as soon as they get home. Like, I don't, like, why am I even doing this if I'm not connecting to others? A sign of your practice isn't how much you can isolate, it's how much you can be together in your heart. That's now what I value as practice. But there's a way that we have kind of, I think, we take the practice and we feed a sort of, uh, can kind of sometimes feed a diluted part of us, right? Because we get reinforcement for not being connected, right? This is what the Buddha said, right? Be alone, be an island, be, don't, don't, you know, like, look at yourself, but that, that can be really misunderstood. You know what I mean by that? And it can lead to kind of a coldness and a loneliness that is very pervasive, actually. And as we move into a new cycle of understanding and, and connection, it's the sort of turning back from the individual alone on the mountain back into the village. Right. So there's these two ways of practicing. And I used to always debate with Joseph Goldstein. He's very much like the mountain, the mountain. And then I would have my other teacher that uh, very close to many years, Jack Cornfield, and he would say, it's the village. (laughs) (laughs) And I would say, what is it, the mountain or the village? You know, and uh, and, and Jack Cornfield being such a psychological person was really inclusive of tradition and practices and looking at yourself and different approaches to integrating Buddhist wisdom, he would say, you have to be in the village to integrate. That sometimes in monasteries, they would kick out people and say, go get married. And they'd be like, married? What do you mean? (laughs) They would say, yeah, get married. Get into it. The messiness, right? You're too, you're, you're too fixated, Right? On, on, on you, 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 and the lone, no, lone, and you're less connected, meaning you start getting more neurotic, a lot less neurotic, which is what we wanna to move towards, right? We wanna, we don't wanna be so sensitive we can't hear a, a car honking and we're freaking out, right? I've seen practitioners this way, and I would think this isn't the path, that actually. There's something a little bit off that, that, is, that is sort of condoned, or in a way, you know? So we want to be able to come in any environment and look at our mind. And sanghas, communities, give us this opportunity. You want to look at yourself? Look at yourself in a community because you see a thousand mirrors. You know, I can appreciate community now more than ever because sometimes I can't see myself, but someone else can be like, hello. Yeah, you got something right here all on the back of, you know, it's like, oh, okay, right. And we don't like that, right? It's Embarrassing. You know, we, we can live alone and it's just our own mind, right? And that can be very painful. Also, there's that isolation. There's the suffering of that. So I think one of my goals in my own practice is that in Oakland, in 10 years, we built a really huge, very diverse community of practitioners of all types. And I've learned a lot in that process about myself. I've learned about how to do both sides of ourselves, the mountain, and how to bring that back into the community always, right? And, and that's what our practice, that's our hope of our practice, I would imagine for most of us, is that what we learn in our as we develop more wisdom and compassion, we share it. Isn't that what most of us want to do? We want to share it for our families, our lovers, our partners, our children or co-workers. We want to be that. We want to be the wisdom. We wanna we wanna uh, help other people, even. You know, that's kind of what happens when you practice. You naturally begin to move into service, right? It's like, ah, oh, yes, yeah, this has helped me. Here's here's something that may be of help to you sort of the inclination of the heart. So I feel that it is uh, a really important thing to go around and talk about community and talk about it as far as how it's connected to the heart, right? That our community work is basically living metta. And for me, self-realization is nothing until it's lived. It's just concepts. Right? We can all come here and listen to great dharma and it just stays here. like Right. Or we can even misinterpret maybe some dharma saying, well, there's no self. Why care about the community? No one's here. Right? <laughs> I don't even exist. Why would I care about this? Very important not to misunderstand emptiness. That is very, and that happens a lot. And I was reflecting on this with my Tibetan teachers. And they were saying that this is probably the most dangerous misunderstanding because it leads to a coldness because we think nothing's real. And it's very important to understand that when we're talking about emptiness or not-self, what we're really talking about is the lack of ego, the lack of fixation on me, I, 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 me, 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 me. And what I've noticed is that when people lose that fixation, every thought, you know that thought every second that goes, me, I, I want, I need, I want, I need. So painfully boring now when I see it in my mind. <laughs> like, oh, this let go of it all. When I let go of it all, you know what happens is this incredible warmth to you. <laughs> it's like, right, without my fixation, what am I doing? It's this compassion. That's like, oh, right, there's a whole world to look at. Isn't it beautiful without all this I, me, me, I think fix- Right? Those are the stories. And so it's important to recognize that in the when we're talking about teachings of no self or an emptiness, anatta, all these concepts that are mostly concepts for people right now, although we catch glimpses of that, is that there's two truths. And I was talking about this on Thursday or Friday night. there's two truths. There is the relative reality conventional reality conventionally we'll say it's sunday we're at common ground my name is spring you're you know what i mean it's eleven thirty four, right those are we're on such and such street you know we need the can you know that's kind of what a relative level um and on a relative level that's where we're working a lot right because on the relative level if i hit my hand right, or I fall down, something hurts, right, and that's, that is a very deep truth, like there's something going on here that is responsive, and then we also look at ultimate truth, now ultimate truth is also another truth, so if I was to look at this bowl, right, if I look at it on a quantum level, right, I go, I super, there's nothing here, it's just moving particles, and it somehow comes together for a moment and it forms this, what we call bowl or, you know, wherever you are in the world, it could be hat, who knows. Um, At some unknown part, the unknown flux in energy, it falls apart. This will eventually cease to exist somehow, right? So it's like, wow, how do I live on that level, right? We're all just particles of light. Moving energy. Someone sent me this really beautiful picture of a star and they said uh, I found this really old picture of you.
0: <laughs> and I
1: was like, yeah, it's a picture of all of us, isn't it now? So it's important to remember that level. That is equally as true. And so you see Buddhism and having a love affair with Quantum physicists, right now. It's been going on for years. A lot of mind life work happening right in Minnesota, actually. And so they're studying this. How is it existing? And also, how is it just stardust? How do these two live together? And it's important that they live together because if I get too much into, well, I'm just made of stars, nothing exists, everything is everything. Why care about the polar bears? Why pay your bills It's the construction of corporate? You know, that's how some people can get, right? That's not helpful, actually. That kind of mindset, when it's too much in that, because then it negates this level of reality where it's like they're suffering, right? Now, if you're too much in this reality and you only have the storyline, and you don't see the vastness, that you are stars, that you are so much bigger than that, you get fixated in your own own stuff, and you don't see the other truth. So somehow what we're doing is we're balancing these, and we have to balance them with a lot of wisdom. And so this conventional level, this relative reality, is the, the, the Sangha level, where what we do here matters, it's the level of our karma, our habits of mind are, are, are on this level. And so it's important to to hold both of these truths when we, we contemplate emptiness, right? There's, something is empty, yet it's not empty of compassion, right? On the other end of that, my Tibetan teachers and other teachers, I say, without when, when somebody sees through the first level of emptiness, what usually transcends is there's so much love they can't even believe it. Because that is what is on the other side, right? If you're not with your story, what is it like? Like, who are you, right? It's like, ah, so much potential, so much freedom, right? Without the me, it's like, oh, I could go anywhere. I could do anything. So I just wanted to say that piece is a way of, uh, yeah, describing that a little bit. And we don't have too much time here. We end at 11.45, right? Yeah, okay. Um, I just wanted to talk about a few more things about Sangha. Um, You know, the Native American crazy horse, this was attributed to him. He said, I see a time of seven generations when all colors of mankind will gather under the sacred tree of life, and the whole world will become one sacred circle again. You are the seventh generation. We are this time. And so the Sangha now is a, takes on a higher significance as like-minded people come together and help each other. This is kind of, I think, with everything that's going on in the world, sort of a, the time now is a unification of the power of community. Like Thich Han said, there's no one being coming to save us. It is the enlightened community. It is the awake community. It is together uh, we uh, transform. And so with that, I want to mention one quick story because it what it does is when we're in communities is it challenges us. So when we first opened our center in downtown Oakland, I thought, I'm such an open-hearted person, right? That's what I was thinking. I'm so open. We're doing something no one else is doing. You know, I had all these like lofty ideas about myself. And I, I had taken bodhisattva vows many times. When you take a bodhisattva vow, it means like beings are numberless. I vow to save them all. Some insane part of the mind can't even really wrestle with it, but you still say it, right? Even though I'll just leave it at that. So I had... <laughs> Taking these bodhisattva vows as a way to set my intention, right? Vows are a way to their ultimate truth, right? There are no beings, no one needs to be saved, but you have this, this, this backdrop of your, your life's mission. It was my mission statement in some way, right? And so uh, I said, I can love all beings, no problem. And we were in downtown Oakland and we, we started teaching to communities, like, and we're right in an urban area. And so we had uh, groups for communities of color, and we had groups for LGBTQI, and we had groups for all beings, and we had a sangha we started right away called Every Mind, Every Body, which was for people with illnesses and disabilities. And, and so we started a, a kid sangha and a teen. And, and, and so everybody started to come to the center. It became like, wow. And then what happened was, as I was being with that process in the early days, people started asking me to change things, right? So it started with a group of um, transgendered uh, community members that were coming and meeting, and they said, we need you to change the bathroom signs." Now, this was 10 years ago. Now it's, like, natural that we're all changing signs and like, new language, which I love now. But they said, well, we need you to change this. And I was like, well, why? You know, that was, instead of being like, sure, I was like, well, I don't know. I... I and then a, a Spanish-speaking group came, and they said, we need you to translate all of this into Spanish. And I was like, well, then it's going to look cluttery. I don't, I don't know, right? And I started to see all this resistance. And then there was a Vietnamese men group came, and they said, we would like the altar to change. And I was like, but I set up that altar. I don't wow. know. <laughs> I, don't, I like the altar like this, you know. And I started to see all this resistance. It was like, what? I, I, and I, I started to feel that. And as a board member, I would, start to, I would start to feel this tightness. And I would think, what am I feeling? Aren't I saying for the benefit of all beings, right? <laughs> and I started to feel attacked or judged. And, and here I am, a black woman, right, saying, you know, I'm inviting all beings to come. You have to be careful what you wish for. Uh, (laughs) Because when you invite all beings into your life, everybody has something a little bit different, right? And you have to be willing to change. And so, so I went from being, and I went on a long retreat right in the middle of all that. I said, something is going on. My heart is closed right now, and I don't understand what it is I'm fearful or resisting here. Right? I started to feel this resistance to changing everything again and again. And I was like, no, no, something has to stay, right? I insist it stay the same, <laughs> right? Does that sound familiar? Yes. <laughs> we can see this in our world, our whole communities. No, I want the same as it's been in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. Nobody else here, nothing changes, the same statue, the same, right? And all these other communities are coming and going, it needs to be a little like this now, or, <laughs> and, and people dying over this, like fighting to the right. And so I saw a piece of that in my heart, some, and it was so contracted and painful. And so I went on this retreat, and I did a meta retreat, and I had this huge breakthrough as I saw... Uh, my own resistance and fear, this deep fear um, that I'm not in control of something. Like, I have no control. Things are changing moment to moment. That is the nature of reality. Why not let it in? And then I started getting excited. Once I had this huge shift and I was like, right, you need to change it? How can we make it better for you, right? Then it became like a bit of a, uh, a game, right? How can I include more people, right? So all kinds of signs, all kinds of things, all kinds of And some people walk in and go, this drives me nuts, right? I can't, I can't do it. And I would say, well, this is, the, this is the game here. It's like, let's change the language all the time. Like, how do we be more inclusive? Like, when you're in a service, when you're, when you're in the business of opening your heart, take delight in those moments where you can accommodate something make someone feel safe or they say I don't we don't use those words anymore that's harmful we use this and I say thank you right if that's if that's what it takes I'm willing to do that more for me because then I feel my heart opening. So you know I just wanted to share that with you all because had I not done that that was like it was waking me up and at the end of the day the Dalai Lama is you know, he says that love and compassion are not luxuries, they're necessities. Like, unless our community finds this harmony and you find your place and will be willing to wake up here. Like, it's not always fun, but it's not supposed to be, right? We're talking about our clinging. And sometimes you see it in, in a group. And to be willing to just fall on that, open to that, let it, Get into your heart. Be willing to be humiliated, exposed, right? This is the path. It's not about hiding. If you really want to get on the spiritual path, get naked, right? Because that's what you have to do. You can't hide all the stuff here and grow. We actually have to expose all of our thoughts and views. How wonderful. Expose yourself to yourself and then let go. So inclusivity, the wisdom of that. And so um, I will just uh, end with a little uh, piece from the Dhammapada, uh, where the Buddha writes, Live in joy and in love, even among those that hate. Live in joy and health, even among the afflicted. Live in joy and in peace, even among the troubled. Look within and be still, even among the troubled. Look within and be still, free from fear and attachment. Know the sweet joy of the way. So, thank you, everybody.